the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Joseph was still alive inside their tragic, broken lives. There was a pit deeper than the pit of Dothan. It was the pit of their problem, of their pity, of their brokenness. He caught it. That is Pastor Michael Oxitanko. This is Reaching Your Heart. Today we bring you the conclusion to Joseph's brothers. I brought you the first portion last week, and we'll conclude that broadcast now. Remember, if you've missed any portion of these messages, you can find them online at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock, and you are always welcome. The broadcast is also streamed live at reachinghearts.org slash video. We'll have details on that and more as we continue with today's broadcast. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Jacob was a prophet of God, and prophets have a way of pointing the dying to the grain, of seeing where the bread of life is at. And prophets can see beyond what is to what will be. And so Jacob could see in that far-off land what the opportunities were. We always need the prophets of God to show us the way to the grain and the bread of life. They can see what we cannot see. So don't let some smart person convince you that you do not need God's prophets in your life. Verse 2, And he, Jacob, said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. Perhaps the prophet Isaiah had Joseph's story in mind when he called the people to come to God and buy the bread that is free for all, the bread of life. I don't know about you. I really don't want mush in my spiritual life. I don't want nonsense food. I don't want fast food. I don't want the kind of garbage that will make me spiritually unhealthy. I want the bread of life. Does anyone here share that conviction? I want the bread of life that is great for my spiritual health. Look at Isaiah 55, verse 1. That kind of bread is free. It is free because it is a gift of God's grace. We hold our Bible in our hands today because God gave us the word of God at the time of the end. God collected the prophets in the right order to form our Bible for the final generation. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? It's funny, I was not long ago talking to someone who said, man, I read this novel. It was so profound. I thought to myself, what's so profound about something that's not true? Why not read your Bible and go into the great stories of Joseph and Daniel and these Bible characters and there you'll find stuff that's really profound that will get you to God in heaven. He goes on to say, Hearken diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in fatness. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live 
And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice he says, I'll give it. You won't earn it. You're trying to work your way to heaven. You're trying to work your way into favor. You're trying to make it all happen in your own life. You come to me, I will give you that which you have labored for because you can't get it on your own. Joseph's brothers needed the intervention of the pre-existent Christ in their life. Was Christ in the Old Testament? How many of you think he was in the Old Testament? He was. In fact, when Jacob dies, he will say, the angel who has redeemed me from all my troubles, may he bless the lads. Now, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God Almighty, second person of the Trinity, eternal, never created in angel form. He took an angel form to minister to the universe before he took human form, but he is God. And Christ was there working in behalf of Jacob's family. Jacob said, he has redeemed me from all my trouble. He has pulled my family out of the mess. I got here because God got me here. Sometimes the hardest work is doing nothing. I know that because I'm a type A, get it done kind of personality. I am. Any type A'ers around here? Good. I'm not alone. Type A, get it done kind of personality. But I have found that I can sabotage myself by my own confidence in outcomes. You know, you put in this kind of work, you put in this kind of thinking, you get this outcome guaranteed. And then God leads us through these challenges in our life that teach us that you don't get anywhere in spiritual realms unless I give it to you. And that is the time we have to learn to obey the vision of the prophets. To get busy doing something for God by resting in God. By resting in the scriptures because the prophets show us the way. Jacob said, go to Egypt and buy grain so we can live and not die. That's very straightforward. As the story goes, Jacob sends ten of his sons without Benjamin. Kind of like the Ten Commandments yet to be given. He orders the ten. Thou shalt go, ten. Go to Egypt. Now, based on Deuteronomy 4.13, number 10, what's the number 10 famous for in the Bible? You guys know. What is it? The covenant? That's right. Deuteronomy 4.13 says, I gave them the Ten Commandments, which is the covenant. So God's covenant is the Ten Commandments. Number 10 represents the covenant of God's law. Great answers. When God gave us the Ten Commandments, God gave us his covenant of life so we can have the bread of life. Some people say, well, I don't like the law. You know, the law's done away with. I just want Jesus. Well, you can't have Jesus without the law. Because the law of God is in the heart of Christ. Christ is the living law of God. You reject the law, you're rejecting Jesus. Now, I don't want the law with legalism. I don't want the law as some bunch of rules I follow without knowing. I want the love of the law, the intrinsic wisdom of the law, which is the living Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So God's word is God's food in the Bible, and Jesus is the word. And when you have the law, you have Christ, and you have the law in the right way in the new covenant inside you. Jacob had a practical reason for keeping Benjamin back at home. Jacob had 11 sons after he lost Joseph, and he was not going to lose Joseph's brother Benjamin. No way. Benjamin's name in Hebrew means son of the right hand. He just kept him there all the time. He cloistered him. You're not leaving me. I'm going to watch you. Jacob kept Benjamin right there at his right hand. He sent the other ten brothers away. Verse 4 says that he was afraid that something harmful or evil would befall Benjamin. He didn't want to lose Benjamin like he'd lost Joseph to some wild animals. He held Joseph's coat full of blood. Some animal 
he came up with his own description. Some animal has destroyed my son. Jacob didn't know that the wild animal was his ten lackluster sons that had sold Joseph into slavery because they were jealous of him and they came to hate him. He didn't know that. He didn't know any of that. Some kind of sons they were, these men who were Joseph's brothers. In this regard, Jacob was not at the first like God the Father. Now think of God. Who was the son of the right hand for God the Father? You know the answer? Who is it? It's Jesus. The son of his right hand is Jesus. Did God keep the son of the right hand there or did he send him to save us? He sent him to save us. So Jacob is not there yet. He's not the ideal father in terms of a relationship with God. Look at Genesis 42 verse 5. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. The word Canaan in Hebrew suggests the idea of trade and synchronicity. The people in Canaan were world economic traders. They were wheelers and dealers. Canaan was the place for trading anything. And the people who lived there were no dummies at all. They knew where the commodities were at and where they could be found. They knew that Egypt had food and that if you wanted to live, you'd go there. You remember Joseph's dream? Remember that dream with his brothers? All his brothers, what did they do in the dream? They bowed down to him. And then what did they do after the dream? They hated him because he shared the dream. Even his father said, what are you trying to say, son, that even me and your mother will bow down to you? Come on. Look at Genesis 42, verse 6. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He it was who sold all the people to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came, and here it is, and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. The dream is in play with Joseph's life suddenly. Joseph had convinced himself that when he named his son Manasseh, that God had caused him to forget all his father's house and all the pain inside his father's house. Joseph's brothers were a composite nightmare in his traumatized life and memory. And he left them far behind in a dark chamber, deep inside his mind, deep inside the pit of Dothan. The divine decree, let it go, he thought. And forgetting them, he had forgotten the pain, or so he thought he had. It is a psychological principle that you can never be fully healed by just forgetting something. Did you hear me? You can never be fully healed by just forgetting something. You have to integrate that pain and face it. Understand it to a degree and then deal with it honestly to truly put a trauma behind you. Joseph didn't know that he himself really needed this kind of care. He needed the divine counselor in his life at this stage of his life. Just like many of us do. There are times we go through things, we remember traumas in our early experience, things which have hurt us, maybe shaped us positively and negatively. And we come to time we have to revisit it and pray through it, look at it and understand it and thus grow up and no longer be the children we were in our ancient experience that we need to deal with things. Hurt people are never experts at healing their own hurt. I know that from own experience. Hurt people are not the experts at healing their own hurt. Friend, Jesus is called the Wonderful Counselor. He got that name when he appeared as the angel of the Lord to Samson's parents. They said, well, what's your name? He says, why do you ask me my name, seeing that it is wonderful? And why was he there to counsel them so they could raise Samson and do it right? Christ is the Wonderful Counselor. Joseph needed to meet those brothers. He left far behind his memory. And they needed him, too, to be healed from the pit and the pain that they had fallen into. They needed to come together. They needed to be reconciled. They needed to get their lives together. 
Verse 7 is pure drama born of a supernatural coalescence of events that caused Joseph to suddenly see what he left far behind. He's now living with the present and the past coming together as a nexus of pain and understanding his life. Look at verse 7. Joseph saw his brothers and knew them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Thus Joseph knew his brothers, but they did not know him. That's verse 8. The American Christian thinker and writer Timothy Keller once wrote this very profound statement. Noted Christian speaker and world-changing influence, really, a tremendous man of God. He said, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. To be known and loved is our greatest need. And to do the same for others is our greatest service. That means that to know and love is a great achievement in life that takes us to a whole new level in the healing of persons. People who live for others, who know them, who desire that knowledge and friendship are real friends. Verse 8, thus Joseph knew his brothers, but they did not know him. At this point, Joseph begins to interact with his dream and his brothers in real time, like a nightmare, like a real, a bad movie playing out, and the real is spinning off in some crazy room that's dark. He is quick on his feet to respond to them without giving his identity away. Verse 9, and Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the weakness of the land. That's how my translation reads, the Revised Standard Version. The Hebrew literally says, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. That's the original text. Joseph may in fact be implying that they had morally impure motives in coming to the land of Egypt. He no doubt knew his brothers from before. They were partiers, bad boys. He'd gone to Shechem to make sure they weren't in trouble. And so they were inclined in the past to act like passionate spies in the mold of Ian Fleming's James Bond who wanted to spy out the land and act immorally with the girls of the land. You have come to spy out the nakedness of the land. I know what you guys are about. The Greek Old Testament suggests they were trying to observe the coming and going of people, looking for someone to prey on. In any case, Joseph accused them of being spies. So what are you doing in Egypt, you bad boys? That's really the question he's asking. But Joseph hears next, Joseph must test to be true. Because to know his brothers, he must know if they are changed men, worthy of the revelation that he is alive. Don't give the secret away. What kind of men are these? Can I disclose the knowledge of what God has done to me to them and it make a difference? I must know that God has been working in their lives too. To know is not enough. To know and to love, to be loved is the greatest gain and the reward of a righteous life. Are they capable of selfless giving? Can they reverse the attitude that put me in the pit at Dothan? Joseph must know that they are changed men. Verse 10, they said to him, No, my Lord, but to buy food have your servants come. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. So notice they're saying, look, we're good people now. Now he knows they were not honest men in the past. He knows that they were bums to him. He noticed that they were murderers in mind. Are they really honest men? By the way, does Jesus Christ care about people who've messed up? badly in life. 
Come on, does he? Someone said to me once, Pastor, you know that person who's come to church has a history. I said, well, I do too. I think many of us have a history. Don't we want people coming to church of histories? We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. Yeah, because God is in the business of changing lives. Again, the Hebrew word for by grain can be translated to be broken. It's a pun. By grain be broken. It's almost Shakespearean what is happening here. They seek grain to live, but they must be broken to live. That's the story plot that God is laying out for us. They, like Joseph, don't really know what they need, but God knows, and God has brought it about. God has been working on their lives all these years with the pit of pain and guilt that they're living in, that they will meet again to be broken and mended, and God will put it back together. For only the broken live. There is no such thing as people living who are never broken. We must be broken to be saved. God cannot put a life together again that does not feel broken in the need of mending. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Broken people are healed people in process. Self-righteous people. Now, they're the ones you got to look out for. Self-righteous people don't think they need healing. They're broken, but they don't sense it. Therefore, they're dangerous people. God led Joseph's brothers to Egypt to buy grain, to heal their brokenness, and Joseph's brokenness also. This is the first time since that awful pit at Dothan that Joseph has spoken to his brothers. The last time he spoke to them, he cried out from the pit for them to save him. How many of you followed the news clip? This went viral this week, a video showing a little boy abandoned by smugglers on the Texas border. I wish I had the video because you would hear that boy crying out. He has a teddy bear in his hand. They left him alone there, and this camera caught it, maybe a, a security camera. And he was crying, no, he was screaming. It was a primal scream, being left alone. He had his teddy bear in his hand. I'm telling you, we got to do something for those kids at that border. Those kids are God's children. I don't care what country they came from. They're God's children. And that little boy is crying out. He's crying out for someone to love him. That's what Joseph did at the pit of Dothan. He cried out to his big brothers to not leave him there. He cried out to them to not sell him and send him away. He cried out to them all the way over the hill that took him far away from all his father's house as they sold him into slavery to die a soon and certain death. And then the silent scream set inside of him, the trauma, the trauma of rejection, the trauma of abandonment, the trauma of murder, of post-traumatic stress disorder, the trauma of the silent scream was in his head. And Joseph was all alone without a home. I mean, we have no idea what Joseph went through. But I guarantee you, as those boys grew up and they came to realize as fathers what they had done to their brother, what they went through, I think was worse than what he went through. Joseph now speaks to them with all the authority of Egypt at his command, and they do not know that it is Joseph who speaks. Look at verse 12. He said to them, No, it is the weakness of the land that you have come to see. Literally, you have come to look at the nakedness of the land again, like the English Standard Version gets it right there. And as they defend themselves, they tell Joseph of their family and his brother 
And then they mentioned the brother whose ghost had haunted them for all those years. They can't leave him out of the description. Look at verse 13. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest this day is with our father, and one is no more. This is an amazing verse. You can read over the Bible and miss the powerful insight into human psychology that we find in Scripture. There is a tragic contradiction built into their words and a hope inside that tragic contradiction. Focus on the verse. First, they say, we, your servants, are how many brothers? Come on. They say, we are 12 brothers. They first express themselves as the collective of a family of brothers unbroken. We are 12 brothers. Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter, Dinah. The Hebrew can be pronounced Dina. It just matters. I sometimes say both. Notice they don't say, we are 11 brothers and one has died. They don't say that. In their mind, Joseph is alive because his memory haunts them. This is kind of like a Freudian slip that has to be explained by the next statement in their explanation. So they said at first, we are 12 brothers. They continued, the sons of one man... They stood before Joseph as 10 that day. Benjamin was alive with their father. That's 11. But now they contradict themselves. They say one is no more. We are 12 brothers. One is no more. That doesn't make any sense. Joseph's brothers came to Joseph numbering themselves as if Joseph was still alive. But having then to explain to themselves and to him that he was gone. They couldn't let him go. They were clinging to him, even in their language to Joseph, who they knew not was Joseph. Joseph must have known at that moment that they were broken men who had never moved on from the crime they had committed against him. Joseph was insightful. He was intuitive. He could read in. He could tell in that contradiction something was eaten at them. And so they were still defined by what had happened to Joseph in a strange statement that revealed that they had not let him go even now. He was alive in their heads. They had not left him behind inside their own minds. Joseph was still alive inside their tragic, broken lives. There was a pit deeper than the pit of Dothan. It was the pit of their problem, of their pity, of their brokenness. He caught it. The nightmare of what they had done to him was alive. It had not gone away. Joseph kept his cool when he heard them say that. We are 12 brothers. And look at Genesis 42 verses 14 and 15. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. (laughs) Oh, no, you're just spies. By this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Joseph had forgotten his father's house, but in a tragic way, his father's house had not forgotten him. Joseph's brothers had lived in the deep pit of Dothan in their heads ever since they left him. The pit was deeper than his. They left him far behind, crying out to them to save him. And now, in a way, they were crying out in their own words to not let him go. And now they bowed before him, fulfilling the dream, with the claim that was true, even though they didn't know it was true in the way that it was true. It came from them because they couldn't let Joseph go inside their own heads. He still dominated them in life. 
His loss had defined their life. They couldn't forget that they were 12 and not 11. They could not let him go even now. They couldn't escape the truth that haunted them even now. The truth that they must encounter. The healing power of God who is the truth. The truth that must overcome hatred, evil, injustice, and change the heart. They said to Joseph, we are 12 brothers. Dear Heavenly Father, Joseph's brothers had no idea that he was alive. And Father, they live with the painful realization that they had killed him. Lord, it's like that with Jesus. Surely the disciples felt the same way on resurrection morning before they discovered that Christ was alive, that they had somehow brought him there. They'd let him down. Father, every one of us in our life has let someone down. Every one of us has sinned against another, hurt them deeply. Every one of us is like Joseph's brothers in a way to someone in this world. Father, help us to realize, everyone here, that we are in the business as broken people of being mended by you. Thank you for your care. Thank you for the story where you care about those brothers to bring them to Joseph just as much as you cared about Joseph. And may we never forget that there are no bad players if every person who is in the playground comes to God. So Lord, help us as children to come to God, to cherish every person, to learn the lessons of faith, and Lord, to live, to live the new life in Jesus. And Lord, keep us for the week in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the conclusion to Joseph's Brothers here on Reaching Your Heart. If you'd like to listen to it again, it's available for you at reachingyourheart.com. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.